0: Hello everybody, this is Dave Cormier. This is our first conversation about open scholarship. I am very, very lucky to be joined here by Linandler Singh, somebody that I have known online for we figure about 10 years. And it turns out this is the first time we've actually had a voice-based conversation. So I'm really excited about it. Hi Linandler.
1: Hi Dave, yeah, it's nice to actually be talking. Like I said, we've been talking and, you know, um, in, in the same space and sometimes with each other, but haven't talked as in talk, so it's nice. Yes, thanks.
0: Super good. Uh, Lelandula, can you tell us a little bit about uh, where you're at and uh, what you're doing your research on right now? Oh,
1: so I'm I'm based in Guyana, um, uh, in in South America, and more more so more more recognized as part of the Caribbean group. But yeah, I'm I'm based in Guyana. I work at the University of Guyana as a lecturer. Um, my area of Teaching is computer science and IT, um, but I'm also a PhD um, student at, at Lancaster University um, in England, and um, I'm, I'm in my thesis process, so going into my fourth year, and yeah, that's a little bit about me. Um,
0: so I sent you a request, uh, actually maybe it was this morning to have a conversation about open scholarship because I really thought it might be fun to start this conversation with you. And you responded back that you kind of woke up this morning already thinking about this, uh, which seems to be like a sort of kismet there that we connected on this in the same place. So when, when I'm thinking about open scholarship, the, the purpose of these conversations is to come to some sort of agreement as a community and what we would recognize as open scholarship, and, I, and you used a great word, and I think I'm gonna keep this through this whole process, how would we demonstrate it? Not necessarily how do we measure it, but how does it get demonstrated? So for you then, talk to me a little bit about what open scholarship means and, and how it impacts your work.
1: Well, yeah, it's a great question. And I, uh, and like you said, I, it's, it's one I've been grappling with for the last couple of days intensely, I think. Not that I've come to any um, great or grand conclusion, but it's uh, for my own research. I've been um, so so. My my research is around how early career academics use um, social media and, in particular, Twitter, uh, how they use that uh, to for for uh, what I call um, uh, I, for identity development. Not what I call, but but that is the the, the theoretical angle. And it just turned out that. Uh, in the framework, I'm using academic work is a big part of that identity development. and under that, um, things like networking and and um, developing scholarship and um, you know your your intellectual contribution to your field, those are some of the critical um, critical aspects or angles to the to the study. So I really want to know uh, whether and how um, early career academics uh, are, are using this, you know, these open spaces, and in particular Twitter, to, to help them develop intellectually and I, I am I am um, and scholarly, and, and that is where I am at actually with with the question about uh, with it really because I the question I am asking myself now is so what do I mean by uh, you know intellectual development and what do I mean by, by um, contributing, you know, in a scholarly way. And if you're you're in the open space, what might that look like? So the actual question I woke up with this morning and I wrote it down actually, and I was going to message um, a private Facebook, well, Twitter group that I'm in, uh, uh, you know, what the, and the exact question is what artifacts Uh, I have it written out. What artifacts might you count? And yeah, I use the word count um, slash consider to be, um, you know, scholarly contribution um, on Twitter. So it was really grappling with, you know, what should we count? What should we consider? What, 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 can I use? Can I look at what people are doing and perhaps make an inference, or maybe talk to them further about it, and to get a sense as to uh, to, to how they think about it um, as uh, as you know part of their scholarly development. So the question about what artifacts, and so here is where I'm at, and I know I've not answered the question directly, but here is where I'm at, and I guess I'm going around. With it, and that might leave you with a lot of editing. But well, I'm perfect. thinking, I'm thinking aloud about it, and so I and, and I'm giving you a peek here into my own research. Um, the the framework I'm using uh, suggested a couple of things that I can can look at, and and one of one of which is how how are how are People and I say people here very broadly. How how are they engaging with with uh, say literature, for example? How are they networking um, with with text and with content? Um, and and what is the nature of that? Now that that it you know um, so so when somebody tweets, you might say okay, they tweeted. They they provide. Uh, a summary or a critique, or they, you know, talking about something but they're linking to something else. Um, in, in linguistic in, in terms, I think they, they they refer to that as intertextual um, or intertextuality. So in a sense, you are kind of referring to other scholarly work and you're sort of, of putting that out there. But the thing for me, the question that's still puzzling me really is, you know, you we do that all the time, whether we do it openly or not. And the question is, why might somebody be doing that openly? So, if I am looking, say, for example, um, and I am looking at, at at what somebody has done in the last year or so on Twitter, what am I looking for? So, presently, I am I am looking into those kinds of. What you might call intellectual which is a word if the, the framework uses um, but it also seems to be interchangeably used with scholarship what might be some of the evidence showing up in their engagement um, what am i looking for so crudely put at the moment my thinking is very limited but it's limited to those sort of things so for example one are they engaging with text and other um, scholarly work, even in their 140 to 280-character tweet? Um, and, and then following up on that, why might they be doing that? Um, who are they engaging? Um, and is there a follow-up to this, whether it's immediate or it comes later? So I'm looking in general. To see if there, if there, there is that kind of, uh, you know, uh, intertextual engagement. Um, so looking beyond, looking deeper into the tweet, for example, um, I'm looking at some other mundane things like, you know, what uh, what hashtags are they engaging? And I was, and uh, for my own work, I've kind of generated a hashtag uh, map. And that gives me, a, uh, beyond looking at one tweet at a time, it gives me a sense, at least structurally, and over a period of time, what sort of hashtag communities um, people are engaging in, and and what is their relationship with that. So, for example, you know, are they are they you know the the, the masterminds behind it, are they just echoing it and sharing stuff that comes with it. And um, what might they not be engaging? And I'm seeing evidence of some strategic, um, well, at least what what the data is saying. So looking at a tweet could say, well, you know, a humble tweet, 280 characters, some text in there. Um, But, you know, what what is behind it? You know, is there anything that is much, much deeper um, in there? Are, are people trying to engage either implicitly or explicitly with others in that space when they put out the tweet? And that might sound really obvious, but I just wonder um, a bit more about that. Um, so I think the challenge really is still, still inferring from those static um, artifacts, you know, a tweet and, um, or a hashtag network. Or, you know, people just having a thread of conversation about a topic, um, and taking that, you know, how, how much can you take from that without actually talking to people? But if I were if I were limited to, to just looking at artifacts, um, those sort of things, are people, you know, using that space that I'm in, and I'm just conscious that I'm in one single space? Are they using that to to? Um, as a means to, to disseminate um, ideas they have maybe recorded in other spaces. So, I mean, those are not new, those are, are, are standard ways of thinking about it. So I know I've gone on and on, but the, the truth really is I don't have a, a, a good idea yet, if I ever will, about what to look for. Um, and I think that's the beauty of it really, and that's the, that's the challenge of it. What, what, what does it mean From a static point of view, so when you look at, look at say, usage patterns over a period of time, um, you know, can you, can you take anything from that and, and who else is engaged, who might be looking at those things and how might they be influenced um, by that, Um, you know, so where does this conversation go, where does this intertextual, um, you know, engagement lead to and and that's hard to trace I think but but yeah I mean Dave I know I I I, I know I haven't said anything groundbreaking there but that's where actually you know my initial thinking um, has been so I'm still very much grappling with wh- what to look for what might count um, not necessarily at a tweet level but over some period of time um, you know you know are there you know Changes in people's uh, ways of doing things um, as a result of what they have encountered—you know—are they, you know, tweeting differently? Are they engaged in in, in, in different ways? So, um, so so that uh, roughly that's that's where my 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 limited thinking is at, at so far. Um,
0: I, I love that. I, my brain is popping all over the place now. So let me ask a couple of questions. Um, I love the way you talk about the intertextuality of the tweet. And I'm imagining uh, sort of a micro connection. So if you look at an article, it's 5,000 words long, you go through a whole process to be able to set up maybe one point you're trying to make or two points you're trying to make and it's researched all over the place. And it connects to a bunch of other articles in some kind of, dare we call it rhizomatic way where all of these pieces are connected from all these different authors. But in a tweet, you're often just making one connection, right? It's, I have this thing, I have this idea, here is this link. And what I've done for you, is instead of giving you 5,000 words for one connection, I've given you 288 characters in a connection, which from an efficiency standpoint seems like good value. Um, and I wonder, and it is interesting to hear you talk about the the responses and the engagement whether it be hashtags or tagging people specifically or whatever so does someone reach out to in uh, to um intentionally curate a certain kind of conversation are they just recording their connections which is more what I do I just go oh I thought about this thing that connects to this thing I'll post it up there and then the next thing I post is oh look at my sandwich um but for me it's just open sharing of connections that have occurred to me. Some of them aren't reasonable. Some of them have helped people. Some of them don't. But I, I love that idea of an I don't think I won't blame you for the idea, but for me, it was I was thinking of like the micro connection and how that's like um, it might be like a hallway conversation, but it is almost more formalized in the sense that we're part of a community already, a community that in some way or another we've curated and it's a contribution in a small way to that community as it stands. I also, it occurred to me, one of the challenges that I'm thinking about in this process is what it means to talk to somebody who thinks that we are only talking about Lon Chantler, uh, what it means to talk to them about what these contributions are. So what has never occurred to me before, you just spoke about it and I'm embarrassed, but it's, I should have thought of it, but again, all great work is taking things that are clear and making them clear to others, which you have just done for me and I appreciate it. Um, it may be that the process of talking about our own scholarship is just as hard as the process of putting together an academic paper. And I wonder what a self-evaluation of the type that you just described, where you're talking about researching others, but if there was a process for researching ourselves to say, this is the way my scholarship on Twitter evolved over the last 12 months, and whether or not that's an idea that's come across your plate or not. So that's two things I talked for a long time too.
1: Remind me if I'm forgetting what you asked, but I started with that one. The, um, two things, I just wrote a very badly, I'm not a good writer, but I wrote an autoethnography um, and it should be published, I'm hoping by my university new um, journal um, coming up at the end of the year. And that's exactly what I did. Um, I, I, I was the first module in my program and they started off, it was a research methods course. And I, I think they feel like autoethnography is a, an easier way in because they don't, they're not pushing you to deal with all the ethics things up front upfront and you can reflect on your own stuff. And so I wrote that and, you know, I can tell you that reading that was the first occasion that it really occurred to me that that what I was doing and and the things I was unconsciously not doing or or doing and steps I was taking was, was really um a lot of good stuff beyond um what you might what somebody might step back and look at. So I think um, that is one. Two, I read another paper yesterday, um, it was another autoethnographic account of someone who was at the beginning of their PhD, and I can share that paper with you, but that, that is exactly what the person said, and, I'm, and it's related to my study, but they, they said, like, they, they, they talk about experiences they had when they were you know, having rejections from journals and how they used Twitter, and then after a while, they learned from the reactions they got how to, so they developed as a scholar. I think that's the short of it. But I think what you said, I think that account, because I was, as you were speaking, I was beginning to think, how do we represent this um, for ourselves? And, and from my own paper, for my own good, and for that paper I read, I think it was getting clearer for me that People can give you testimonies and they can say how your engagement helped them and all of that, that would be great but i think um, your own um, reflection and this is what i'm going to also ask when i do interviews with some of my participants um, to, to kind of reflect on that and they i'm going on but the one more thing i want to say based on what i heard you were saying or asking is that um, one of my participants and so you're getting you're getting a you're reading my thesis before it's presented written and published <laughs> one of the participants some years ago was tweeting about their what i call as a theme well several of them their their phd process yeah And I was asking, I find myself asking, well, that seems so mundane, right? I mean, people do that all the time. Okay, I had a meeting with my supervisor and this, and then, and, but over time, when you look at it, I saw, I guess as a researcher, you want to see things, but I saw more than a little tread. And I'm still thinking about, you know, just putting that process out. If, if I think about that from a scholarly standpoint, what is the value in that? Not only for that person, but maybe for someone who is looking on, someone who is following. Um, You know, it's not a paper. It's not a conference presentation. It's just you documenting your own development over time. So I don't know why I wanted to share that with you when you said something, something you said earlier about recording these things and perhaps reflecting on them and so those are little pieces that i'm seeing um that they seem initially interesting to me and that i'm mulling over
0: so yeah um i'm i'm totally in line with what you're saying so i I just i really you've you've totally uh you yeah you've you've messed up my mind here okay so i and again, like you say, I've just thought about this and I've just learned this from you now, um, but the idea of a functional model for an academic Twitter autoethnography seems like a really nice process. I think it's a really nice process, particularly in the humble way in which you put it. Um, anybody listening to this who knows my work will know that humility is not my strongest strength, um, but the idea of going over not as a celebration of all the wonderful things I've done on Twitter, but as an analysis of how I have worked with ideas on Twitter for looking for ways in which I could have followed something up, something I missed a connection that I made that was lazy, you know, that sort of taking the practice seriously and taking the time to reflect on how to make that practice better seems like a really productive thing to do.
1: Dave, you know what I was thinking as you were talking? I think that is exactly it. Um, and, and certainly for me, looking on to you, I never thought that you were anything else but humble. I mean, you put your stuff out, but I never got the vibe that it was. Somebody self-promoting. I know what self-promotion looks like. I see it, um, and I don't like it too much. But I know when they've put something out, even if you're 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 reflecting on an own thing. So I certainly don't feel that way. I'm, okay. and I know I'm not in a club of one. But what is whats What is what I'm thinking about? Even for my own study, like I'm reading all this literature, and you know, it's funny how you could be in academia, but maybe be blinded, maybe be not conscious, maybe because you don't have a comparative perspective to the things that don't happen for you that might be nice to happen. <laughs> and, and maybe my context might be different. So I don't work in a very busy, very high, high traffic, high research-oriented area. So clearly, I don't even have things to bounce off of. But but I've been reading a lot of papers about that. That just laments almost the fact that within closed spaces, within university environments, that while there might be so many institutional resources and things to draw from, that oftentimes people are isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, people, they might. You might go to the seminar. You might talk to your colleague at the water cooler. You might have. when I when I when I. Think about that. Um, and when I think about this this, this um, open space that is available, almost sometimes like an experiment or a test bed for people to put out their ideas. I don't know. I don't get the sense. And I can only speak from my university where I've spent all my life. But I, from the literature I'm reading, I don't get the sense that that's necessarily available or part of the makeup of... Um, of universities and maybe that's part of its appeal now that doesn't necessarily amount to well open means that you're going to have all these things happening you know you still have to you still have to work on it you almost have to create that space for yourself um, but it just struck me as you were speaking that the things you have done and what myself and others have kind of learned from you and just kind of get engaged in our own thinking, even reflecting on how you think about things, that that you can put those things out there in a space that is sufficiently accessible, that is not threatening, um, that is open in the sense that it invites you in but, if you want to stay out, you, you can do that. Um, maybe sometimes you get drawn in when you don't want to, or you stay out when you should be more engaged. But, but, but for me, like, I wonder sometimes whether that's just a fundamentally different thing and, and in and of itself has intrinsic value. Um, you know. And so as so I'm saying, like, just even if you haven't started accounting or or demonstrating what what specific artifacts or contributions might look like. I don't know. I, I just it just struck me that as you said it and I'm reflecting on my reading that that um yes there are all these problems and people you know harass others and and that but but when I you know for me the encouragement is still is like to me like there is still We still have to continue to figure out how it will work for us um beyond do this do that a recipe approach so yeah so so, yeah i guess i was just reflecting on a few things i thought about maybe without kind of directly engaging what what you're thinking um Mm,
0: that's i i agree like i think you bring in bring in another really important point and maybe we'll close up on this one uh and that's that we can choose to stay inside of the traditional academic model, but that's where not not where knowledge is being negotiated right now. And I'm certainly not suggesting that the internet is a safe space. And I understand that as a Canadian, white, heterosexual male, I get bothered a, a hundredth of the time as other people do. I, I know it's, a, it's not a safe space for a lot of people, but the fact remains that if we're in the business of knowledge, we simply cannot do it outside of these public spaces, only outside of these public spaces. It's it's too the, the conversation that's happening in public is too important to not have people involved in it who care deeply about how knowledge is made and what it means. Um I think it's really important we do the work we do. And plus, I've met some fantastic people um doing this work this way. And I mean, you and I would have never met under any other circumstances. Right, we have never had this conversation, nor any of the blog posts that we both wrote during RISO fourteen or any of that stuff. Right, none of that stuff is happening.
1: No, I, I absolutely agree. And I, um, a couple of things in, uh, as just quickly in 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 response to that, um, I was speaking to to one of the guys from the Social Media Foundation, Mark Smith, and. I was I was trying to pick his brain about he he's a sociologist and he studies networks. And we we went off like we were talking and we you know we talk about random things and he he said something really interesting to me and that made me think that think about the university as an institution and and whether we're beginning to see a different A different kind of possibility playing out, and we we were exactly talking about people with PhDs and all of that who are teaching in different ways, YouTube channels, um, and their their model of sustenance is you know Patreon and people who are learning from them, you know just randomly. And I was, and and the question was like, you know, what if what if the the future academics, you know. A sizable set of those people with PhDs and doctorate. What if that's how they they think about what education should be, and a different model? And, and 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 I I think I think there is a bit of tension with that because from my own study, one of the things I'm grappling with is really whether whether um, at some point I might end up finding out that people are actually doing this because. They are forced to do it either explicitly or otherwise. Right. But whether this is indeed how they see themselves as a newer generation of early career academics. Whether they think that being more out there and less inside is how education should be. And we, and I, I, I would stop by saying I don't think we would have had that opportunity at all. Had it not been for these open spaces even with all their challenges so I think thinking about about education no that doesn't resonate well with people who are ingrained in the system for 30-40 years no. so I, I feel like that so yeah I, 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 um, we, you know I, I would have been an entirely different academic if I would have still remained one or a budding one had I not gotten myself in and met so many people and and just think about education differently and so to me that's how do you how do you how is that represented as an artifact I have no clue I can, we can write um, biographical notes on those and I think more and more we're seeing that but sometimes it's hard just to to quantify and to uh, measure that um maybe we can demonstrate it in in other ways and i guess that's your grand challenge right for me in a in a sense too um, yeah so yeah no i mean it's it's quite all interesting um and like you said i kind of left you confused because i'm talking about some trash that <laughs> maybe no, doesn't I mean, make sense I meant, but, that yeah.
0: as, I meant that as a compliment I just, there's a whole bunch of places where I'm like, wow, I had never thought of it that way. So this was the best way for me to start this. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I'm looking forward to seeing um, that PhD finished. Uh, do send along your autoethnography when it's done. And I would love to see whatever else you have going on this room. And uh, for everybody else, I look forward to the next conversations. Thank you so much, Lynn Andler.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure, Dave. It's great to talk to you, and uh, it's also an opportunity for me to kind of sound out what I'm, what I am um, grappling with myself. So I also look forward to um, what you might be um, putting out as well to help my thinking. So yeah, thanks. It was a pleasure.
0: Open scholarship about open scholarship. Look at us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>